Hi everyone and welcome to Dars Conversations. I'm your host Arnav Patel and this week you are joining us for a bit of a special episode. Generally in this series we talk to people from around the world of conversational tech about the sorts of stuff that they're doing with chatbots and voicebots. But this time we are going to give you a sneak peek into how things work behind the scenes at startups like Dars. We spoke with Prasanna Krishnamurthy, a partner at the Opeka Catalyst Accelerator. Opeka helps startups like Dars build sustainable, profitable businesses that deliver real value to end customers. We've been a part of their accelerator for the last 4 years and I know from talking to Ish and Vinit, Dars' founders, that the folks at Opeka really know what they're talking about when it comes to building successful SaaS companies. In fact, if you're listening to this right now and run an B2B SaaS company, Opeka is recruiting for their next cohort as we speak. I'll leave a link to their application in the show notes. Even if you aren't building a SaaS company, Prasanna shares some valuable knowledge on how you should think about running a business in this episode. So I highly recommend that you give it a listen. And rather than telling you more about what he is going to tell you in the episode, I'm just going to drop you into our conversation so that you can hear all of his awesome advice in his own words. So so the way we think about it is like this, right? So any business um today has a nervous system and that nervous system used to be pen and paper in the heads of the employees and so on and so forth. And that nervous system became software. uh in the large enterprises that nervous system became software 40 years ago 50 years ago uh 1970s 1980s 1990s uh in many of those cases uh, but in but in smaller companies that nervous system is still pen and paper in, in in most cases right maybe it's excel sheets uh so across the board the nervous system of an organization of a business has moved from being on pen and paper to being actually in software now therefore you know if i have to run a company earlier Uh, somebody in that company would talk to somebody else in some other company to buy some stuff or sell some stuff or give you know send them some stuff or any of those kind of things right now all, all of those things happen through software so now not just does your business if you run a business have a nervous system and that's in software but other businesses that you work with they also have uh, nervous systems which are run through software and so uh, your uh, business is also constantly evolving so earlier 20 years ago 30 years ago the dynamic was that you would buy a software you would implement it and then you would just use it for 4 5 years and then now you've evolved you've changed as a business but that software may no longer uh, reflect what your nervous system needs to be right so in the last 30 years what has happened is a lot of businesses have figured out that hey my software itself my nervous system that i bought once and tried to implement it it doesn't work in that model because as i'm evolving as i need to do more things my nervous system has to keep evolving it's like saying i trained my hand to catch a ball but i have not trained my hand to hold a bat so i can't play baseball right so you need to be if you're learning something you need to be or if you're in in the game right you're changing and your nervous system has to constantly keep catching up with what you're trying to do right so that old model of buying software once and using it doesn't work anymore versus what you need today or what you've needed since the last 10 15 years is you need software that works for you today that continues to get upgraded as you change as your business changes continues to evolve to fit your requirements and therefore software is no longer something that you can buy once and forget it is something that you have to continuously use 
Therefore, you continuously pay for it to be upgraded. So that let's say the interface for your nervous system to talk to another business's nervous system has to be upgraded. You automatically start getting that because you are paying for it on a recurring basis. So the way we think about it is that a business needs software to survive and thrive. That business is not a static business. Therefore, that software cannot be a static software. So the software has to keep changing. The businesses keep changing. And that whole process leads you to software as a service rather than software as a one-time something that you bought and you forgot. So that is the software as a service part of it. And because it's recurring, now as a business, I can focus on my business and how I want to run it and make sure that the software that I'm using matches what I want to do not just what I'm doing today. That's the way we kind of explain it to people who don't understand what SaaS is. I'm going to have to steal that analogy that you just used when I'm explaining to my family what I do at work. I think it accurately captures the purpose that most, if not all, SaaS products serve for businesses that use them. Uh, like a nervous system, they essentially transmit information from one part of the business to the other. Uh, in the case of TARS, for example, we capture lead data and transfer that data to our customers' CRMs, where another set of neurons can be triggered to send the information elsewhere. A follow-up question that I have have about the nervous system analogy though is wouldn't you say that a natural extension of viewing SaaS as the sort of nervous system of a business uh, is that every single SaaS company has to offer every possible service that a business needs because you can't really have a piecemeal nervous system to transmit information around a single organization right so uh, the way I think about that is that uh, you know there are going to be platform SaaS companies and there are going to be plug-in SaaS companies, right? So unlike in the human body uh, where evolution takes or any biological organism where evolution literally takes uh, millions of years, right? Uh, In uh, software, that evolution happens in uh, days and uh, hours, uh, maybe weeks and months if you think about it. So what happens is that there is a core of your uh, processing. You, You could think of it as a spinal cord or you could think of it as a basal processing system but you are now having to react faster and faster to things that were never imagined before so in one sense that core has to be something that can deal with those things that have never happened before at speeds which uh, never used to happen before Uh, so you can't have that core be static for too long so the analogy would might be that let's say some company uh, implemented erp uh, 40 years ago the model for erp that they use the uh, velocity that the manufacturing would be able to uh, take place with that kind of an ERP system or the kind of logistics that might have had to be there, that they might not have even imagined those things in the past. Uh, so for a manufacturing company, they would just manufacture something and their job starts where something comes into the factory and their job ends when something goes out of the factory. Today, that same uh, company might be a brand which is direct-to-consumer uh, might be offering uh, per customer customization where literally uh, the same software or plugins on top of that software are essentially exactly like you said, taking a lead from a website through an ad on a Facebook, uh, getting that software custom, getting whatever that pers- person is buying customized, uh, doing the billing for that, putting that into an order queue in a factory, uh, getting that particular customized thing manufactured, then putting it onto a truck 
train a plane uh, until it comes to you, your house and your you as a consumer are able to track that end to end right now can you imagine that somebody wrote a software 30 years ago or 40 years ago which could do all of this stuff impossible right it's not even uh, in imagination it is nowhere right but today this is what is required so now what would happen typically in this kind of case is there would be a core manufacturing erp which might be running the machines and then there may be that might be the platform onto which everything else plugs in or there may be a totally new platform that's coming in to control the orders and the manufacturing erp actually plugs into that platform right now as these whole ecosystems evolve so today i might be selling through google to tomorrow i might be selling through instagram day after tomorrow i might be selling through something that doesn't even exist yet that software has to change whoever is building this platform can't be changing that software all the time right so that's a plug in for something that has to do something very new that was never done uh, before right versus uh, on the other side that platform for manufacturing maybe the manufacturing plant hasn't changed as much so there you may not see so much change right so now imagine that uh, you know human being has only a fixed number of organs fixed number of uh, you know hands and legs and arms and ears and whatsoever and that doesn't change at all but in a business today i might be selling to somebody uh, in china tomorrow i might be selling to somebody in uh, india uh, i might be building um, razor blades now i, I might end up building uh, you know razors tomorrow or i might end up building i might be a manufacturer of uh, uh, computers and suddenly i'm manufacturing phones uh, i might have been making phones now i'm making software i might have been making computers now i'm making uh, watches right how much change is happening in as a business business evolve much much faster than humans so the software has to evolve much much faster than our nervous systems and so therefore those new use cases the old software may not even be fit to even uh, do so you we are going to keep plugging in new software of various kinds Uh, that never existed before. I completely agree with your assessment there about how people view running a startup or running a B2B SaaS company. Another dimension to it is that and this is what blows my mind about B2B SaaS as an industry is that even though the problems that businesses face are evolving over time, they remain largely constant over geographical context. Uh whether you're running a business in America or India or Europe or the Middle East or Nigeria, you still need that piece of accounting software correct correct so i i actually have a video uh, we can link to that uh, it's it's about the hierarchy hierarchy of needs of a b2b company and uh, what we found is that see a business itself is an artificial construct and uh, businesses all almost all businesses around the world uh, essentially date back to some laws that were made in uh, europe uh, for joint stock uh, trading companies right uh, so this is a businesses are very new Uh, businesses as a structure exist have uh, in the current structure that they exist today are only 400 years old uh, 500 years old maybe um so all of them were designed in a similar fashion for a similar purpose and so when you take a business uh, it's like the same kind of organism and for a business uh, the cultural aspects matter to the people running the businesses but for as a business you are looking at a few different things you are regulated so you have to take care of regulation and compliance then you have uh, to get revenue and you want to grow your revenue third you want to get profit and you want to grow your profit 
Fourth, you want to figure out how you can continue to grow in the future. Uh, and that might include the productivity as well of your current people so that they can figure out how do I grow next year. And finally, you're thinking about building something that's lasting, a brand that will outlast whatever that particular business is doing today. Right? So once you think about it, almost every business will fall into one or more parts of this kind of a hierarchy. And basis that when you start looking at a particular business and say, hey, which part of the hierarchy are they in? Then you'll know what kind of products they are ready to buy or what kind of problems they have that they're ready to solve. So as a quick example, um, essentially COVID has pushed everybody down in that. You might have been a profitable, growing, uh, very good brand uh, restaurant. And uh, if you're a walk-in restaurant, you're screwed. I mean, your survival is seriously under threat if you're in LA or a Atlanta or a, a New York or wherever, right? It's a serious problem. I mean, and that's just pushed you down the hierarchy to survive, right? Uh, if you take a business in a very fast growing market where the market itself is growing 10, 15, 20% year on year, then they are only going to be worried about, they're going to be more worried about revenue share and their market share than profit because they know the profit will come, but it's very hard for them to even predict what their profit is going to be because the growth is so lumpy and uh, changes all the time. So I don't know how much it costs me to get that. Versus in an uh, industry which is growing very slowly, let's say an oil and gas kind of an industry where it's growing only 1% or 2% every year. If you were running an oil and gas industry and I come in, come to you and tell you, hey, you know, you should um, uh, increase your market share, increase your revenue, right? You're not going to listen to me because you're like, man, I can't do that, right? Uh, because the market itself is not growing that fast. And it's incredibly hard for me to take market share for some, from someone else. On the other hand, if you help them buy something which will help them be more profitable or improve their productivity, then they're going to buy that. And they, are, uh, they, they have the mental models and the, the uh, planning and the tracking to be able to precisely say how much their productivity is, precisely say how much their profit is. And so therefore, they can optimize for that. Now, when you look at businesses around the world, you'll realize that all businesses have very, very similar characteristics and actually have a very similar hierarchy of needs. And that's why a lot of these things translate. Uh, but if you take a, a marketing agency in India and marketing until before COVID was growing super, super fast in India, uh, maybe even faster than the US, right? Or a mobile phone industry in India versus the mobile phone industry in the US. Mobile phones in the US are saturated. Mobile phones in India are not yet saturated. And the way they behave will be very different because they're in different parts of the hierarchy. Right? So, But you can actually figure out mobile phone companies in India have these kind of needs because they're in this part of the hierarchy because they're really going after market share and they're trying to grow and so on and so forth. Versus mobile phones in the US are really looking at upgrade cycles and they're trying to retain their customers. They're trying to upsell more to the same customers. So that explains a lot of the behavior of a lot of the business. I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be to this next question, but is there an ideal place in that hierarchy that B2B SaaS companies should aim to be serving? It doesn't matter because in, in the hierarchy of needs, everything has to be satisfied and you need software to satisfy everything. It doesn't mean that if you're, uh, you know, at a higher level, it doesn't mean that you're not paying for software at the other levels in the hierarchy. You are, you have to be. If you're not, you probably wouldn't have even gotten there. So you as a business, the point is, if you identify that particular person in that company, where in that hierarchy are they? 
that particular team in the company where in the hierarchy are they that particular company where in the hierarchy are they you can tune your sales process for that what i mean by that is if you go to a company that's growing revenue really really fast and your product can help them improve productivity can help them that productivity can help in more revenue growth then you want to position it as hey i can help you grow revenue even faster because i'll unlock certain things which can help you grow that revenue faster versus if this is a company which is not growing at all right you might want to go and tell them hey you know you're spending already so much money on this if you use us you can get a cost savings because this can be done much more efficiently therefore your profits will grow even though your revenue might be flat so that kind of a positioning to the customer is something that you can do and it might be the same product that's interesting the one thing that i'd add to that is you you mentioned that you can tune the sales process but as a marketer my ears pricked up when you talked about positioning uh because when you're talking about figuring out which person in the company you should be targeting what motivates them what drives them what are they looking to optimize for within the business that they work for that sounds a lot like figuring out who your audience persona is in a content marketing sense exactly right so that's where a lot of times even the positioning words that you use matter so if you're talking about fast easy uh, simple they will appeal to people who are trying to do some things quickly maybe they're shooting for productivity right uh, if you are talking about valuable uh, uh you know effective uh things like that that may apply more to people who are trying to optimize profit or optimize growth and things like that so you want to make sure that the icp that you are targeting actually is in that part of the hierarchy and a simple example could be restaurants uh restaurants were doing great growth was great same store same uh, location sales were great so you would be trying to tell them hey this do this because it will improve your brand or do this because it will improve your customer success or service and stuff like that right or or uh, do this because you can improve your efficiency you are uh, you are only able to do uh, two tables uh, per day maybe with this you can do two and a half tables per day right? uh, so you would be selling things to them uh, things like this before covid but now if you go and try to sell the same thing you it will be very insensitive they are not even able to fill this uh, table that they have and you're talking to them about uh, you know efficiency of filling tables it doesn't make sense so you really need to come up with a, a value prop for that same restaurant if you're picking that as the icp uh, to help them maybe sell online and now it's a survival thing not a profit thing or a brand thing it's it's really survival saying hey if you don't get uh, 50 orders a day 100 orders a day uh, for take out or um, delivery you can't survive I'd be curious to know since you've touched on COVID in your last two answers how has the pandemic affected the way businesses sit on the hierarchy has it just intensified the needs that they already have or has it completely reshuffled where businesses are so uh, you know I, I one of the mentors that I have his name is Simon Wardley uh, so he's spoke about uh, he gave a very nice uh, way to think about this right he said every business now has to serve a new need that was not there before Uh, that need you could call that need being part of the isolation economy so for different businesses they have a either a regulatory need or a physical need or a uh, some kind of a need to be part of the isolation economy and to serve those needs now when you think about that different businesses obviously are impacted in very very different ways by the isolation economy a restaurant a dine in restaurant is incredibly impacted 
because for them the isolation economy changes the geography the literal uh, geography of where they are sitting or how people are sitting or uh, physical changes have to be made in their offices right so they've gone from i'm building a brand i'm building my future growth i'm building profits and everything has changed for them versus on the other extreme you have a company like zoom where you know things were normal everything was great but in the isolation economy it's a brilliant product right because it serves the need of the isolation economy for everybody because the communication need for a business has not changed before covid and after covid but how do you communicate you cannot know any longer meet some stranger and sit within 6 feet of them for more than half an hour with or without a mask in an enclosed space so zoom satisfies that isolation economy need and therefore their stock is doing well their revenue is doing very well and they're shooting up right now there in in between these two there are lots of businesses whose need for how they talk to their customers how they talk to their vendors how they talk to their suppliers all of them have been changed because of the isolation economy now if you think of it as for a particular business that you're thinking about if you think about how they are impacted because of the isolation economy and what needs the isolation economy has on that business then you'll start seeing hey you know is this high impact low impact what exactly can they do uh, can they take advantage of it can they serve a need in the new isolation economy uh, versus the old face to face economy right that's a very uh, useful way of thinking about it. Right as you were talking I thought to myself that I could actually rephrase the initial question obviously for every business how their position on the hierarchy changes is going to be different but being aware of the hierarchy has some value in and of itself uh I mean regardless of industry you can use it as a tool to better approach situations like covid if you understand where your customers sit on the hierarchy and how a situation like covid could affect where they sit that could help you adjust your position um to better serve them and drive growth even in trying times like the ones we're in right now uh now i'm taking a look at the time and the way we are positioned right now we might go a little over so i think this is a good time to switch gears i am curious your shirt right now has an interesting logo on it It says Vanity Sass and there is a cross going through it. Uh, so I guess no Vanity Sass. Um now we've talked about what Sass is. Now we're adding another couple of complications to it. We are saying Vanity Sass and we're saying that that's a bad thing. Could you tell us a little bit about what Vanity Sass is? Right. So it's a movement saying it's a movement towards value sas and away from vanity sas and for the listeners who don't know what those terms mean value sas and vanity sas uh, do you think you could give us a little definition absolutely right so uh, what so if you take the same metaphor right uh, software as a nervous system for businesses so uh, if you start off by adding value to the business that you serve as a software company so you add value to the customer who's your business which is using your software for their business so you add value in their business by either increasing their revenue increasing their profit increasing their productivity increasing their future growth improving their brand any of the things in the or uh, keeping them in uh, regulation and compliance right any of those things help that business add value to that business now you as a business you as a software saas company 
cannot charge more than the value that you deliver so your upper bound of what you can charge a particular customer is the value that you deliver to that customer right so that's the number one source of value for any start any software company i can't get more money than you from you than the value that i have delivered to you so that's number one part where value has to be generated once the value is generated that value comes to my employees uh, me as a founder and my other stakeholders including investors now the challenge is that in the last 10 years uh, saas has become very very popular and a lot of investors are there who are looking essentially to make a large amount of money from their investments right uh, which is fine but essentially what they are trying to do is they are saying hey i need to put in a dollar of investment and i need to get 10 dollars back for my investment and their uh, you know vcs are essentially running a, a kind of a, a chamat uh, of social capital speaks about this uh, very famously he said that uh, you know venture capital has become kind of a ponzi scheme where somebody is putting in money at a very early stage and then before even the business is generating value they are somehow increasing the valuation and getting an investment from uh, another downstream investor and again that investor before this business is generating value has increased the valuation and sold it off to one more later stage investor and this he calls it a ponzi scheme where without that value being created that valuation increase is propelling this whole industry in a cycle right uh, so what we are saying is and one of the uh, things that happens in this game is that that valuation is a vanity metric right so all founders get into this thing that in one and a half years or two years my valuation has to go up by 3x and they chase a lot of vanity metrics in the process of trying to build this valuation instead of delivering real value to customers but for a business for a founder who's put their heart and soul into that business value for them actually comes from value delivery to customers not by looking at these vanity metrics so we found a lot of founders who have been sacrificed at the altar of trying to become a unicorn because they were chasing these vanity metrics and at some point the kool-aid runs out and suddenly they're looking at it and they've taken a lot of money from investors not built enough value for anybody and when you've not built enough value you can't be a self sustaining engine because you are dependent on somebody else giving you value giving you money to build continue delivering value essentially if you think about it what these folks have built is an engine that takes in 1 dollar but returns only maybe 20 cents or 30 cents or 40 cents so that cannot become a self sustaining engine right so what we are saying is don't do vanity saas don't go after these vanity metrics like valuation focus on the value that you're delivering to customers and how do you measure that if you can make sure that every customer that you have is a happy with a high nps b referring more customers to you c buying more from you over time then you know that that's a satisfied customer who you've delivered in good value before right and if you build this as an engine where that value delivery to customers increases every year and therefore how much they pay you increases over every year and they are happy to pay you because you are their nervous system without you they cannot function without you they cannot do those new things that they need to do because their business has evolved and they have to run their business right so they are happy paying you more and that's a very beautiful virtuous loop where you start getting more customers because they are referring you and referral customers are very low cost to make into customers 
you're getting more money from your existing customers every customer that you get pays you more and more over time because you're adding more value over time for you from a product perspective you can be heads down saying look all i care about is delivering value to customers i'm not trying to impress somebody else by saying i'm the next big cool jing bang thing right and if you build this engine really well you know what the most beautiful part is investors will chase you because in reality investors are looking for these money printing machines where you can put in a dollar and get out a dollar of profit or 10 dollars of profit right so the moment you build this engine what we've realized with working with 48 startups the moment there is a scent of an engine then there are lots of people with money who are coming and saying hey i'll give you money put more money into that engine make it run faster but founders need to understand that if they start building that engine with a dna which is profligate with a dna which is not efficient you can't change that engine later so that is the hardest part which founders realize much later where if they are making a very inefficient engine to start with making that efficient engine efficient later is much much harder than building the efficient efficient engine in the first place right so that's what we mean by saying don't do vanity sas don't shoot for valuation shoot for value to your customers if you build value to your customers you're going to get value for your employees you're going to get value for yourself and over time that engine can make a huge amount of wealth for everybody involved two things strike me about what you just said first again i think that your assessment of how people approach running a startup especially a saas startup is bang on if you talk to most people about what it takes to run a successful saas startup they'll talk about these vanity metrics like funding and valuation uh, and second and relatedly it seems almost like we're living in an upside down world where the basic rules of business don't apply anymore i mean econ 101 states that the purpose of the business is to turn a profit but it seems like the pursuit of vanity is warped that for saas startups where you aren't chasing profit anymore you aren't optimizing for profit anymore uh you're optimizing for these vanity metrics which is wild to think about because i mean if you ask most people most sane people in the world what a business's purpose is uh they'll tell you it's to turn a profit um anyways i'm keeping an eye on the time and i think this is a good time to talk about the work that you and the folks at opaca are doing within this movement uh how you guys figure into this dichotomy between vanity and value sas so uh we realize that uh, you know this a lot of this stuff is set in the dna in a very early stage in a business so we run an accelerator it's called opaca uh so opaca helps founders understand what goes into building a value sas business and helps them become a value sas business and uh, the way to do that is to build that flywheel right uh, the flywheel is where essentially if you put in a dollar of effort a dollar of money a dollar of whatever you are getting more than a dollar of profit out of that uh, so we think about it as um, you know what what is the skill of an entrepreneur right uh, so if you think about an entrepreneur as um, you know taking a dollar and building a machine that can make more than a dollar right uh, now let's say one entrepreneur is there they takes a dollar builds a machine it prints exactly a dollar in profit in its lifetime right uh, versus there's another entrepreneur who takes the same dollar and builds a machine which prints 10 dollars in profit now the interesting thing to ask is hey which of the entrepreneurs is more skilled and clearly the latter entrepreneur who is able to turn uh, build a machine that prints 10 dollars of profit from a dollar of investment is a more skilled entrepreneur the more interesting question to ask 
is who owns that machine, right? Now, if I took a dollar and built a machine and prints one dollar of profit, at least fifty percent of that ownership has to go to the person who's giving me the dollar. But if I built a machine which takes a dollar and prints ten dollars, maybe that person owns only ten percent, and I, as a entrepreneur, own ninety percent of that business. Now, I can do something even more interesting. I can get, say, a couple of my friends to put in the effort required to bring the parts required to build that machine. Maybe I don't even need that dollar to build the machine. I just do it with my friends, and so all of us together have built a machine which you know can print that ten dollars, and we own it. right so that efficiency of burning your equity because and this is the interesting thing right so from a value perspective valuation perspective valuation can be anything right the amount of money you raise you can raise 0 dollars 1 dollars 1 million dollars 1 billion dollars you can raise any amount of money but equity there are only 100 points of equity it's finite Right, one of my mentors, uh, Professor Saras, says the only finite thing in the world is equity because it's defined to be only hundred percent. You can't make more equity ever by design, right? So if you burn your equity too fast, you can't get it back, right? And if you burn your equity on the wrong things, it's a dead end. So what we help with at Upeka is help founders understand these kind of things, build a flywheel. Build a machine which is more efficient, where with less than hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars of total external capital, they get to a million dollars in ARR by building this engine. And what we've realized uh, working with these forty-eight startups is that the moment that a founder has built a prototype of that engine, a beginning of that engine, right, capital is no longer an issue. There are lots of people ready to give you anywhere between. A thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars to hundred thousand dollars to million dollars to make that engine go round and round faster and faster, right? But building that engine today needs a little bit of magic, right? And we've learned how to help founders find that magic within themselves and put it out into that engine and build that engine piece by piece uh, and improve it over time. So when they come to us, the founder might have say. You know, a couple of thousand dollars of monthly revenue, five thousand dollars monthly revenue, ten thousand dollars monthly revenue, but it may not be a flywheel kind of a revenue. It may not be a repeatable, scalable kind of a revenue, right? So we help them build that repeatable, scalable, sustainable flywheel, so that they can become not just a growth machine, but also a profitable growth machine, so that they don't need to depend on anybody else for financing. So in fact, out of the first twenty startups that we work with. Um, Almost eighteen are cash flow positive on a month-on-month -month basis, right? Uh, and that's, I think, like one of the biggest achievements we've had because all these founders have choice. They can do whatever they want. They can raise more money if they want, uh, or they can stay bootstrapped if they want, or they can just say, "I'm just going to build a two, three million, five million dollar revenue business." And in in and in the context that we are in, uh, with a five million dollar revenue business, they could be doing three million of profit net, right? Because of the software services as a recurring. Uh, software business, right? Or they could, or one of the interesting things that have happened is, as they hit a five thousand dollars or a million dollars in revenue, they realize that the market that they are targeting could be much much larger. All they need to do is change a little bit, and uh, so two three of our startups in the first ten uh, itself have realized that hey, they were doing these things, but if you just position them slightly differently, if you just target a slightly uh, different market or a segment within that market. And position it 
in a more value driven way your pricing can go up from $50 a month to $5000 a month and some of them have even are even charging now $12000 a month right and so that helps them then realize that i don't need to make this into a million dollar business or 5 million dollar business i can build this into a 20 million dollar business or a 50 million dollar revenue business or a 100 million dollar revenue business right? so all these paths are open to them and they can choose there's no pressure on them to you know choose a path where it's only go big or go home so correct me if i'm wrong but essentially opeka helps saas businesses establish the right fundamental structure at an early stage and once that structure is in place down the line they can go about improving individual competence by raising more funds expanding their team uh, and in the process maybe expanding their their valuation uh, but getting that initial structure is what defines the long term success of a business and that's what you guys help out with exactly right and uh, so so Uh, we call that structure the flywheel and again it's an iterative process it's not that you design that flywheel in isolation without customers so the only way to design that flywheel flywheel and create that flywheel is one customer by one customer you understand what you're delivering to them what value you so you keep building that flywheel with input from the customer and the market and as you deliver the software you realize that they're using it for you thought you're they're using it for one reason but actually they're using it for reasons 2 3 and 4 then you realize that there are adjacent customers maybe within the same business maybe within businesses like that or maybe within the competitive businesses to that or maybe within businesses uh, in different geographies with the same uh, type of a need so you start serving that and then you build this whole flywheel uh, a common mistake that a lot of founders make is they overbuild on one side and then underinvest on the other side of the flywheel so it becomes a very weak flywheel although it looks from the outside it look like this part is very massive it actually is not a closed loop right so you can't feed back in for example right so we make sure that they're building a balanced flywheel so that whatever you're putting in comes back and that that becomes a very virtuous cycle and starts uh, you know bringing results for the founders much before uh, otherwise than they would otherwise interesting interesting um now if there are saas founders out there listening to this podcast uh what can they do if they are interested in getting into the opeka cohort what can they do to prepare themselves and maybe increase their chances of actually getting in so we've written a guide called the value saas base camp guide uh it's on amazon uh, as a kindle book it's also uh, available as a pdf for people who want to read it so the best way for uh, for somebody to get into opeka would be to read that start applying that uh the what what we're talking about in that and then uh you know apply and tell us how they've applied it and which parts are working for them which parts are not working for them uh so our belief is that uh, you know frameworks are free but follow ups we charge for right so if you get into opeka the value that you get uh, on top of the frameworks that we have is when anybody applies a framework you get stuck right uh, either whatever is described in the framework you're not able to match it to what your reality is or your reality things are changing in a way which the framework doesn't capture or realize etc etc right so that's where the follow ups and the peer group and the tribe become really really important uh, so uh, best way to get into opeka uh, read the book uh, apply the frameworks uh, talk to people in the tribe uh, get their feedback and uh, you know get them to uh, help you build that flywheel and then you know we can help you uh, with that as well awesome stuff 
I think we're coming to the end of our time over here. We will link the ebook that Prasanna was talking about in the show notes. Uh, a quick reminder to everyone who's listening, if you are interested in being a part of the next Opeka cohort, they are recruiting for their seventh cohort right now, and I highly recommend that you apply. I'll leave a link to the application in the show notes. I know that Vineet and Ish would both testify to Upeka's value there. Darz's founders uh, for the newer listeners. Anyways, Prasanna, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you. I think you shared some knowledge which, I mean, l- let alone SaaS, I think that any entrepreneur listening to this can apply a lot of the frameworks that you spoke about in their businesses today. Thanks, Arnold. Good talking to you.